All right, so um, the sermon I want to share with you today, something the Lord laid on my heart. It's also one of my favorite stories in the Bible um, with everything that's going on. Um, and and uh, I was thinking about this when I was sitting at my desk, and, and I can't even remember what I was listening to, and, and then I just, I, this stuff just began to un, un come out of me, and I just began to write stuff down because it was stuff that I, God had to say to my heart. You know, it's something he had to like, you know, spank me on the bottom with or encourage me and inspire me with, either one. Um, doesn't matter to me, but, but we were there. And, and again, it's, it's one of those passages that's a little controversial. So I'm just going to invite you to go to John chapter 8, um, verse 1. Um, you'll see that probably in your Bible there might be some lines or there might be a notation that says the earliest manuscript does not ha- include this in its um, manuscript. And so you just understand that, that that's been in your Bible for a long time and there are thousands of manuscripts out there. And when you stop and say, well, is it real? Okay, the Lord saw to it that it was there and he's a big God. And if he didn't want it there, it wouldn't be there right now. There was something happened that that was put in there. And I don't know if like John came back and said, Oh, hey, man, you know that, 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 uh, that, that missive that I wrote to you? Ah, I got I to gotta put a, you know, an addendum in. You know how they used to do that? You know, it's like, hey, here's a copy of uh, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, here's the new revised copy of Alice in Wonderland. So this is the new revised copy of John. You know, maybe that's what it is. I'm not real sure. What I can tell you is it's in the Word of God, and I use it as if it's in the Word of God, and, and I'm not making any doubts and things like that about it. I have yet to meet the man that is bigger than God. So when people are going, yeah, well, some guy just, it's like, really? Some guy is that big that he can wreck the Word of God all by himself. And the answer to that question really is no. So let's just get to it, okay? I'm going to read all the way down through um, verse 11. So 1 through 11. Uh, actually, I'm going to pick up at John 7:53 if it's on there, um, because it's in my Bible that way. Then each went to his own home. There we go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Um, in most manuscripts, it'll say caught in the act of adultery. Okay, just know that. Okay, they made her stand before the group, and they said to, um, to Jesus, "Teacher." This woman was caught in the act of adultery and in the law of Mo- in the law excuse me and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women now what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him now for accusing him means for condemning him to death if he comes against the law that God gave down to Moses okay But Jesus bent down and started writing the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, when they pressed the issue, when they wouldn't let up or shut up, okay, when they wouldn't quit, it says, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus literally is saying, Go ahead. You can do it. You have my permission. Stone her to death if you are without sin. Now, let's, let's keep on going. It says, again, again, he stoops down and he wrote on the ground. At this, at what Jesus said, at the words that came out of his mouth, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
Okay? That's a powerful question in light of the ministry of Jesus Christ, who is God, who came to this earth. Who on this world condemns you? Who on this world has the right to condemn you? Why do you stand in front of me with no accuser? He could almost say right there. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Did nobody throw a rock at you? Did nobody feel that they had the right alone to throw a rock at you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Wow, circle that in your Bible. Highlight that on your Bible app. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now, this is the invitation that I'm giving to you, Jesus says. And this is equally as important. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now go and leave your life of sin. It's a really powerful statement. The one I want to key on there is where Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Because in John 3, 17, Jesus is very clear where he says, for, this, for God did not send his son into the world to be condemned by the world. Well, back it up. Okay. For God did not. For God didn't. For it is not the purpose of God to send. It wasn't the reason. It wasn't anything from heaven that God should send his only begotten son down to this earth to condemn people, but rather that through him they all might be saved. That's what Jesus said, not me. The Son of God did not come down here to condemn anybody. The Son of God knelt in front of a woman, writing in the dirt, quoting or looking at people that surely were screaming, Leviticus, I think it's 20, 20 to him, screaming bloody murder. She's got to be murdered. She's got to be stoned to death. She's got to, what do we do? How are you seeing this? Waiting for the chance for him to say, nope, we're not going to do that. And then they can jump up and go, then you need to be stoned or you need to be crucified because you're coming against the law of Moses. You are a heretic. That's what the scripture says. They were looking for a, a reason, an excuse to accuse him. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you to the woman. As a matter of fact, he says, listen, any of you that can do this, you're more than welcome to. I used to um, raise horses, and, and I say that very gently. I only ever raised one. But um, I used to raise horses in western Oklahoma. I used to train a lot of horses, but I only raised one. Okay, um, But... Um, I used to follow this guy named John Lyons. And John, if you're watching this online by any chance, and you've taken time to listen to me like I used to read your papers, um, John Lyons is a Christian man that, that did um, how to train horses in a, in a round pen. And so I built myself a round pen. I went and bought all the panels, had a round pen, had horses. It was great. And one of the things John Lyons had said, and I make sure I quote this and get this right, and if I don't get it right, John, you're welcome to email me. Um, but he said, like, if the horse bites you, you've got, like, 10 seconds to kill it. Okay, he said, go right ahead. He said, pick up the biggest ball bat you can, he said, and just beat that horse to death. He said, but you got to hit it below the wither and in front of or on top of um, the, in this area like that. He said, you, 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 can't, you can't do it anywhere. Now, I'm sure that's why John Lyon got canceled um, when he said that, but here's the deal. He said, you know what? Your ability, your ability to hurt that horse is minuscule compared to the other horses that are in the pasture with it that are kicking the snot out of it. He said, 
you know, they, they have steel shoes on and they have a behind that's that big. You have a little tiny bicep this big and you can't hardly swing that bad. He said, now, if you can't get to that horse within, and it may have been like three or five seconds, something like that. He said, if you can't get to the bat within that much time, then leave it alone. He said, the horse is going to forget that what you're doing it for, so don't do it. But he said, you know, if you can make that horse think it's going to die, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's saying, listen, here's the deal. I'll tell you what I'm going to do with you guys. He said, if any one of you is without sin, go ahead and throw that rock. And I'm sure John Lyons actually believed that nobody would be able to get to something fast enough to do the ridiculous thing that he put in front of us. Same thing here. Any one of you that doesn't have sin is welcome to start throwing rocks at people that have sin. Because Jesus said every one of us has sin. <laughs> and none of us, if God didn't send his son down here to condemn us, he certainly didn't sign us up to condemn people. He signed us up to save people. And we spend so much time throwing rocks at people, we don't have enough time to invite them to church. <laughs> it's like, come on, what's going on? Book of Romans says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we, if we cannot offer redemption, reconciliation, and restoration to a broken, hurting disgusting world, then we have absolutely nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing. See? We've been given, Paul says, the, spirit of mini uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation. It's up to you and I to find filthy, awful, nasty sinners like us and introduce them to Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to be about. But more than anything, we're called to put our rocks down. You know, it's not lost on me way back in the day when I um, was studying this when I first became a pastor that the, the people were standing there with rocks. And just understand the rocks were about the size of baseballs, maybe, maybe a little bit bigger softballs, okay? They would have picked that up. Now just imagine how a stoning went. You throw your rock at somebody and there's not just like a gravel pile laying around. Then you've got to run over, pick your rock back up, run back to your spot, and then throw it again. And people don't just all of a sudden die because, you know, you've got an arm and you're pitching that baby at 90-some miles an hour because, you know, you've been working out because you wanted to be on Jerusalem's big MLB team, okay? Do you see the, do you see what, it's almost a condemnation on the community as much as it is a condemnation on the person. You pick the rock up, you throw it, you run up, you pick your rock up, you back up, you throw your rock. That's how it goes. So all these people are standing there with rocks in, in the size of baseballs and softballs, Okay? And Jesus says, okay, let's have at it. Let's get this done. Whoever doesn't have any sin, you go ahead and throw the first one. Let's get it started. And it says, people walked away. It's not lost on me that the older people left first. Ah, I don't want to break your heart, young people. Older people are smarter than you. Okay, I mean, I know I know, I know you think they're stupid. I know. I know they don't know your favorite band, okay? It's not even good music. We had all the good music in the 70s and 80s and 90s, okay? But there's some left over and you've got to. I get that. There are things we don't know. Yes, you have to come and fix my iPhone when I can't make it work. Or I've got to call you about my computer. But I taught you to use a spoon, okay? <laughs> Please don't forget that. Please. Just if you're just hanging in there. Please don't forget that. At the end of the day, 
you and I are in a place where we can stop and we can put the rocks down. The difference is, at 62, I'm a little, I'm a little tired, man. It's like, I might have one throw in me, but if you want me to run over there and pick it up and run back before I get hit by everybody else's rock that didn't throw it when I said go, I'm probably going to get pelted. And so I'm probably not going to do it. And the younger people are like, no, I think we can still, I think we've got just cause. Because they're not willing to look at themselves as sinners yet. You get older and older and older and older and older. And and pretty soon you're at that place where you're like, man, why did God let me live? You know, I I made so many. I I wasn't the best dad. I wasn't the best husband. I wasn't the best employee. I could have done this better. Man, I wish I I could go back and do that. And young people are like, let's take the world. You know, we can do it. And it's like, I believe in you. And I want you to, but you've got all that passion. And sometimes it's not connected to your brain. Okay? And I need it connected to your brain. And I'm just going to say that sometimes old people, it's not connected to their brain either. Okay? It's not. And so I, I know some of you out there going, yeah, well, you don't know my dad. It's not connected to his brain. Okay. I'm just speaking generally, not intentionally, specifically. Okay? Let's just deal generally. But the story says that the old people walked away first because they... They got it. They got it. And so that's what took place. And you and I have been called to put our rocks down, and that's a hard thing to do if justice is important to you. My wife keeps reminding me that they're not going to give me a ticket pad, and I do not get to ride any tickets out on the highway. I'm not just talking about left lane stuff. I'm just talking about, man, go back and read the driver's manual, please. Please. It's not fair. It's not fair. But we need to start putting things down. And what prompted this message was I was sitting around thinking about the things that we need to put down. What are those rocks in our lives? Yeah, often, you know, I, I, I think about this story and I think about, do you feel like the woman caught in adultery? Do you feel like the people that are looking to cause and say, there is no God, therefore this? Or are you like the, the churchy people that are like, let's just kill them all and let God sort them out, you know? Or, or where, where do you find yourself in this story? And in this story, I, I find myself holding rocks for some reason, and, and I just think, God, what's going on? And the Lord said, why don't you put down rejection and pick up second chances? What if we call ourselves Christians and we put down the rocks, put down the rocks of rejecting people and pick up the invitation for God did not send his, his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Pick up the invitation of a second chance and a third chance and 490 chances according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Why don't we do that one? Why don't we love our enemy instead? Why don't we put down the rock of worldly advice, what makes worldly sense, and pick up the invitation of the Word, capital W? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The favor of God falls on them. 
the Scripture would say. So why don't we put down the worldly advice that says don't let anybody take advantage of you and pick up the word invitation that says if they make you go a mile, go two. If they demand that you give them money before they take you to court, go ahead and pay it even if you don't deserve it because the God that you serve can give you more. And I think that's the issue. God is saying, don't you trust me? I can replace anything you've got. Look at Job's story, and I'm not going to go there, but look at it. Pick up, excuse me, put down the rock of judgmentalism and pick up the mantle of justice. How do we help the people next to us not create penance for the people around us? Okay? Pick up, excuse me, put down the rock of arrogance and pick up a heart of compassion. Because except for the grace of God, that could be me standing in front of Jesus, naked in front of the whole world. Think about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man has coffers that are overflowing, so he builds a bigger barn and decides he's going to retreat or he's going to retire. But every day he walks out of his house and he goes past this Lazarus guy who's poor and he's got pus and scabs and the dogs are licking him. And it's just like it's nasty and gross and he does nothing to help the people around him with the things that God gave us. And it takes me back to the sermon I got to preach the other day about the idea, why would God give us more? Why would he give us the favor of God if we will not use the favor of God to help the people around us as well as just enjoy it ourselves? Why would he do that? Think about it for a second. Judas and the perfume. Pastor Janice spoke on that or wrote on that or talked on that or maybe just, you know, had to pull me off into a corner and say, now listen, and, you know, give me the Holy Spirit because she does that sometimes. Um, but there's a place there. Peter and John and the beggar on his way to church, on his way to synagogue, they didn't have a thing except the name of Jesus and the power and the authority of heaven. And they didn't say, stop bothering us, you stupid beggar, we're going to church. They stopped and said, we don't have much, but what we do have, we'll give you. Get up and walk. Change the guy's life. Wow. Why don't we put down the rock of greed and pick up the invitation and the love of generosity? How do you figure a tip when you're out to dinner? Without just being cliche and beating anybody over the head, I mean, you talk to servers, and that's the worst day of the, of the week for them because they're not getting their fair share. I mean, because the people they're serving aren't getting their fair share fast enough, and they have a right to not tip them. It's like, no, just tip them. If you've got an idea that could help them be a better server, write it down for them in an encouraging way. But goodness, they're trying to raise their kids. They're trying to get through college. Why would you cheat them because nobody wants to work in our society today and the ones that show up can't move fast enough? Why would you treat them that way? Don't treat them that way. Don't treat them that way. Make them, make them write social media memes about how incredible the people were that they served that day. Put down the hunger for porn and pick up a desire for purity. Why not? Why settle for pictures? Why not embrace 
relationships the way God asks us to. Put down the joy of gossip and pick up the excitement of encouraging. How can you celebrate when somebody's succeeding so that when it's your turn, everybody claps for you? How can you do that? What could you do to celebrate somebody else, to pour into somebody else? Somebody's starting a new business. Somebody's giving it a shot. Somebody's doing some things. What could you do? Put down your need for an image and pick up the towel of a servant. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Put down the divorce papers and pick up the tools to build a great marriage. Put down a rebellious heart and pick up an obedient spirit. Put down that pretty mask and embrace the testimony of a real life because you don't have to be fake here. I am not complaining that I am the pastor of a church with real people that have messy lives. I would rather be in the middle of it all than us all just be fine, fine, always fine. You say, Pastor Joe, how do I put this all down? Let's go through this. I have to know what the, the Bible says about a topic. If I'm going to put it down, I have to know what the Bible says about the topic, number one. I have to. What the Bible says about what the Bible says is more important than anything in your life except now that you know, what will you do? Oh, I don't think I agree with the Bible on this. Oh, did I miss something? Is that how it works? <laughs> Just rewrite the thing. You know, like Thomas Jefferson. Literally, literally. Just take a knife and start cutting out the parts you don't like. You know, it's like you don't have to eat the chow mein, just eat the orange chicken. It's a buffet. It's all good. Don't worry about that. It's just a storm. I know the creator of the storm. It's all good. He said, keep preaching. Okay? So we're there. What does the Bible say to the woman caught in the act of adultery? Because she heard Jesus' invitation. She did. He gave her grace, but he heard her invitation. This is my grace that I pour into your life, but by the way, I've got an invitation. Will you accept it or not? Okay? The rich young ruler heard Jesus' invitation. Go sell everything you've got, give to the poor, come and follow me. Huh? And he went away downcast, and Jesus didn't negotiate it down. <laughs> ah, I'm at a quarter. Only give away half. Only two thirds. Oh, don't give it to the poor people. Just give it to your family. He didn't do that. He said, that's the invitation. But he loved the man. The disciples heard the invitation, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. you got to leave it all right there on the beach. you gotta, you got to leave it there. You can't go with Jesus and stay where you are. Something's got to change. What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? But at the end of the day, who cares what the Bible says if it doesn't wreck your life? Because learning the words of Jesus should turn something, should change something inside of you to the point people should start asking. You can't maintain a job that invites you to do the very thing that God calls you not to do. You can't live a life that is heavily involved in doing the very things that God said not to do. See? People should look at us and say, how come you don't do the things the world does? And we should say, because I'm chasing after Jesus. Think that through. 
LifeWay Research says that 20% of Christians say they've read their Bible all the way through at least once. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever read your Bible all the way through? Now, before you go, oh, yeah, man, I've read so much of it that I'm sure I read all of it. I'm, I just, not a lot of, you know. Yeah, have you read Micah? Have you read Amos? Have you read Joel? And some of you are like, are those the Beatles? I'm, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Okay, no, they're not. They're not. I want to know, have you ever sat down and said, this is a letter from God? I should read this thing. Not just like two chapters, two verses, ten minutes a day. And it's a struggle for all of us, not just you, for pastors too. It's like, I can't, I can't read a book without going, oh, this would make a great sermon. Uh, I better get my notes. And it's like, God's like, no, I'm trying to wreck your life. Would you shut up and just listen? And it's like, well, if you're going to wreck my life, you're going to wreck everybody else's life because I'm going to talk about it, you know. And it's like, there it is. According to um, LifeWay, 32% of the Christian people polled say that they read their Bible 32% of the time. I mean, 32% say they read their Bible every day. 27% says a couple of times a week. These are just people being honest because you can be honest when you're anonymous, okay? It's like being on social media and threatening people. You can be as tough and as big as you want because they're not coming to your house to beat the living daylights out of you. But if you said it to them at a gas pump, they would whip you with the gas nozzle, okay? All right, so these people are being honest. We can trust them. Every day, they, 32% say they read their Bible every day. A couple of times a week, 27%. Once a week, 12%. A couple of times a month, 11%. Once a month, 5%. Rarely or never, 2% of the people were really honest. You know, I'm a bad Christian. No, you're not. There's no such thing. It's like being pregnant. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. There you go, okay? The rest of it is, do you want to chase Jesus or not? Number two, if I'm going to... If I am going to um, do these things, if I'm going to put down these rocks that God calls me to, I have to know what the Bible says about a subject, so I've got to read my Bible. I've got, I got to get into it, okay? Number two, I have to repent for my failure. This is what I refer to recently as extreme ownership. There it is, extreme ownership. Jesus says it this way in the book of Revelation. Get on, the, get on one side of the fence or the other, but get off the fence. Um, get hot or cold. I'm sick and tired of you being lukewarm. <laughs> okay, do something! You know, Nike says, just do it! It's there. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have to repent for my failure. That's called extreme ownership. A guy named John Gretton Willink, the commander of SEAL Team 3 in Ramadi, wrote a book about leading. It's called extreme ownership. And I, I thought I was going to love this book. I was so excited. Some friend of mine gave it to me. I'd like to beat him to death with it right now. But um, I'll tell you why, and I don't really believe in killing people. So um, let me just say, okay, it's, mil it's filled with leadership and military and church and business examples. But I swear, every single chapter, this is, this is how it goes. If you're screwing up, it's your fault. If the people that you serve underneath of you are screwing up, it's your fault. If the people over top of you that you're trying to screw up for are screwing up, it's your fault. And it's like, how come it's always my fault? Why? I'm tired of it being my fault. Well, if it's the people below you, you're not giving them enough information to do their job to get it done. And then, you know, if you give them all the information they need, then they can do their job the way they're supposed to do it. You say, they need to know what to expect. On the other hand, if it's the people over top of you that are making your life miserable because they want every single little detail, then the problem is you're not giving them enough details. And he, Jocko is his name, his nickname, and he keeps bringing it back and dumping it in my lap. And it's like, how come it? But here's the deal. <laughs> he does that to everybody in the corporation, <laughs> not just you. Everybody gets treated with that same thought. 
Extreme ownership means that no matter what, I'm willing to admit my part of the thing and stop and say, how here have I failed so that I can do better, so that the company, the, 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 the platoon, or the church that I'm serving can be better? How can I do better so that things can be better, so that things can grow, so that we can be successful, so that we can win? It's called extreme ownership. And John invites us you and I, to stop beating ourselves to death and be nice to ourselves um, as we're starting to say, hey, I'm not doing so good. I feel like a worm. I'm awful. God hates me. No, no, no. Understand you're a sinner, but don't beat yourself up for it. In the book of 1 John, God saw to it that you and I understand that if we claim to be without sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to not have sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See? That's Jesus on the ground playing tic-tac-toe in the dirt, waiting on these guys to throw rocks, saying, hey, if, if you don't have any sin, go ahead and start chucking. Knock yourself out. And here it comes back around again, same guy, writing it a different way hard pill to swallow. We're all sinners. Paul says this, the righteousness that we have, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Some woman said to me, all sin is the same and I'm just telling you that the church bought into it. All sin is not the same. And honestly, when people tell me all sin is the same, I recognize those are people who, they don't read their Bible. They don't read their Bible. That's a lie. It's a lie, I believe, straight from the pit of hell, not from the person saying it to me. The, the idea that all sin is the same is, is not biblically accurate, correct. It, it's none of that, okay? Um, they want to keep on sinning, and they want you to leave them alone. Okay, they want their sin affirmed. They want it to be okay, but they've never read the book of Leviticus. See, if you steal something from somebody, then you have to pay back this much. If you kill it, then you have to do this. If you are a habitual killer, then this. All sins not treated the same at all in God's eyes. Uh, now, hold on. Now, hold on. All sin has the same end, yes, 100%. But the end does not make the sin the same. Lying is a sin. It's not the same as killing. It's not. It's not the same at all. Okay? And so we need to be aware of the fact that you and I are sinners and we need to be careful. And the other way, the final way that we do this, okay? So what we're going to do is we are going to, make sure I do this in the right order, we're going to have to know what the Bible says on the topic. We are going to have to admit our part, okay? And not a worm, just the recognition that God says, hey, if you've sinned, ask God's forgiveness and get back up, man. That's what I'm going to try to get you to do. But on a daily basis, I have to choose obedience. Sometimes I have to go moment by moment and step by step. I have to do it, okay? I believe in grace, and grace alone is my salvation. But I also recognize the words of Jesus' brother James when he said, you can't separate your salvation and your works. You can't. 
You can't have one without the other. If one does not produce the other, then you don't have it. And it's like, wow. I can't argue some of the scripture in here that calls me to continue to move forward. Look what James said. Therefore, rid ourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anybody that listens to the word and does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You unequivocally cannot separate knowing the word of God and doing the word of God. To believe is an action word, not an academic word. It doesn't mean you know. It means you live your life based on the principle that Jesus handed to us. And I'm here to tell you one of the hardest ones that you will come up against is love your neighbor. Or excuse me, love your enemy. That's one of the hardest ones we'll, we'll ever live. Love the person standing in front of you with the rocks in their hands. Love the person who just made your life inconvenient or uncomfortable. Love the person that just rejected you. Love the person who's trying to take up all the parking spaces. I'm just being real. I'm just a real people. I'm just one beggar showing all the beggars where the free bread is, okay? I'm just being real. I mean, the Lord brought somebody to my office this morning and just smacked me right upside the head. Lord, sell all those flowers so they can be blessed. Give us our parking lot back. On a daily basis, I have to choose obedience. And it is a daily choice to accept the word planted inside of you. Let it blossom. Let it grow. Imagine that you are the woman that started out this sermon. Imagine that you're the men with the rocks in your hands. What is it that God is asking you to put down? To the woman caught in the act of adultery, it was a way of life. And you know it was a trap. Listen, this is, this is how you know it was a trap. Because the law that they were quoting said that the man and the woman had to be stoned, not just the woman. But they only brought the woman. Don't let that be lost on you that there is always somebody trying to pervert the Word of God to their own end, to their own money, to their own image. But we're all sinners, saved by the grace of a God who loves us so, so, so much that we have permission to put our rocks down and help that girl and to recognize that because we're holding those rocks, we need forgiveness. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. And I hope and pray that you're not staring at people that are holding rocks and looking at you. And I hope and pray that there are rocks that you are holding, that you are stopping and saying, you know what? I don't have to hold this rock. Pastor Joe said that Jesus said, I can put it down. I don't have to carry it on my back. And I don't have to threaten somebody else. I can love them, even when I don't know how. Let's come up to our feet and let's have a word of prayer.
Father, who is God in heaven, Lord, we live in, in one for real messed up world. And it's broken, and it's ugly, and at times it's nasty, and lots of times I don't understand it. And God, most of the time I'm trying to struggle to hear your word and, and kick my own flesh and will down and, 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 and beat it and let you have your way in me. And so I just come before you, and God, I just ask your forgiveness. God, I ask your forgiveness for the bag of rocks that I sometimes feel like I'm dragging around. God, I ask your forgiveness for the times that I put myself in the middle of the circle and know that I deserve the rocks. But I thank you for the grace that you give to me. God, I pray that we can be a church that's willing to wade out into the muck and pick up the messed up people and walk with them. Every time that they fall over drunk, to pick them back up and try to encourage them that there's a better way. To take that person that's going from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed, help them understand that that's not love. To understand that your call in our lives to do things your way is not to limit the life. But God, we won't embrace the parisos until we recognize that it's inside the boundaries of your teaching. Help us to embrace that. So I just bow my head to God and I just want to speak forgiveness over us as a congregation and open up our hearts and our eyes to the things that you're doing. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. As we're up here and as we're wanting to pray, I wonder how this has affected you today and what it is that you'd like prayer for, that we can join together and pray over you to bring the kingdom of God down into that circle that you might find yourself in today. These people are up here so that we can pray while we're singing this song. Just feel to come up, feel comfortable enough to come up here and just ask them, hey, I just want you to pray for me. You don't have to tell them what. Just say, you know what? I just need your prayer today while we're singing.